Federal prisons have been tasked with making sure that they are not transphobic by allowing men who identify as women into women's federal prisons. Libby Emmons was a playwright and producer in the New York theater community until she faced the ire of both peers and audiences, her crime, her views on gender ideology. The ask by these trans activists, which I do not believe includes all trans people, is to erase women, to completely change the language, and to tell us not to believe our eyes, not to believe our senses, but to believe what we are told to believe. This is an indoctrination on a mass scale. Today, Emmons is the editor-in-chief of the Post-Millennial and Human Events, where she writes frequently on issues related to gender. The Department of Agriculture took this directive and said, okay, if your school has a policy of not allowing gender self-ID for washroom access, then we will withhold free lunch aid. You can't even quantify how many women commit crimes in Canada because men are included in that number. This is American Thought Leaders, and I'm Yanya Kellek. Evans, such a pleasure to have you on American Thought Leaders. Thanks so much, Jan. So let's start with a headline from the publication that you're the chief editor of, The Post-Millennial. Uh, Protesters demand removal of trans-identified males from New Jersey women's prison. Subheadline: the solution to male violence in male prisons is not male violence in women's prisons. This needs to stop. Get men out. So this, and this is a quote from one of the inmates, presumably. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is an issue that you've been covering personally for quite some time. Why don't we dig right into it? Yeah, so there have been some changes in law and in the definition of words that have enabled males who claim to be women to gain access to women's prisons and to be housed there. Uh, many of these men are violent. Many of these men have committed crimes against women and they find themselves then surrounded by women in uh, prisons that are remarkably less um, secure, necessarily locked down than the male prisons are. So a man's prison, men's maximum security prisons and women's maximum security prisons have very different levels of um, security. So a women's maximum security prison is more like a man's medium security prison. You get a lot more benefits and freedoms, you know, such as they are in prison than you would in a male prison. You know, what, you, what you're suggesting is that there might be some people, you know, perhaps looking to game the system here. I think any man who has been incarcerated and then decides that he is actually transgender and identifies as a woman and seeks entry into a woman's prison, I think he is a grifter and a fraud. These are not the same men who are trans prior to you know, committing crimes and ending up in prison. These are men, in a lot of cases, who end up locked up, then decide they're women, and then seek entry into women's prisons. That happens a lot, it turns out. And I, I don't think those men are um, doing anything other than trying to get a better housing situation for their, their time in, in lock, lockup, really. Well, or worse, as this headline would suggest, right? Mm -hmm. So what, so what exactly is happening in this New Jersey prison? So in New Jersey prisons, men are given access to women's prisons simply by saying that they are female. There was a man who is called Demi Minor, is his uh, trans name, and he impregnated two women and was then removed and has uh, sought to gain entry back. I'm pretty sure that's the only women's prison in New Jersey, and the women don't like it. Um, the women don't want men in their prisons for a variety of reasons. Many women who are in prison have suffered domestic violence, violence at the hands of men, um, and here they are now subjected to the potentiality for more male violence. Uh, also, having spoken to uh, women who are either currently incarcerated in women's prisons or um, who have been released and had served time in women's prisons. There are other concerns as well, such as the changing dynamic that happens among women when a man is introduced. You also have a situation in California where I was talking to one inmate um, at the Central California Women's Correctional Facility who was saying that when a man comes into the women's estate, oftentimes an eight-woman prison cell will be cleared and the man will be housed there. Uh, this one woman, Tamika Johnson, was telling me that um, 
one man that was, was housed there, got the eight-person prison cell to himself, and then was actually allowed to have a woman in that cell with him with whom he was uh, enjoying sort of playing house, and they had some kind of relationship. And there are additional atrocities and horrors that we can discuss of what happens to women who are locked in prison with male criminals who claim to be women. Well, yeah, so I do, I definitely want to touch on that. But since you mentioned California, there's actually a new law uh, signed in by uh, Governor Gavin Newsom in California, as I understand it. It was signed into law by Gavin Newsom. It was brought by California State Senator um, Scott Weiner, who is an absolute and complete menace to California. Um, I actually talked at one point to State Senator Brad Hoyleman's office. He's in New York. And um, the person I spoke with on the phone there revealed to me with pride that Hoyleman and Weiner work together to bring similar bills in California and New York, which I think is actually really terrifying given the um, conditions in New York. Um, yeah, so Weiner brought this bill, signed into law. As soon as it was signed into law, inmates... Um, in male correctional facilities petitioned to be moved into women's correctional facilities. Uh, of the, you know, it was, I think it was uh, 261 trans-identified trans inmates, and of these it was like hardly any women, and the women's petitions to be moved into the male prisons were denied, um, clearly for their own safety. Yet no one had any concern about the women who were going to be impacted by the men transferring in. I, I don't think all 261 of those cases, uh, all of those cases have yet seen the man transferred into the woman's prison, but there are increasing numbers and each case is reviewed. Uh, even prior, however, to this law being signed into effect, there were men who claimed to be women who were given access to the women's prisons. Um, in those cases, the man had to have undergone surgery. There was actually a case of a man called Jessica Marie Hahn, who ended up, after being castrated, who ended up being housed in the same prison with the woman who was mother to the two children that he had murdered. Unbelievable. And what exa how exactly does this new, uh, relatively new California law um, change things? It changes things because now you have women who are at the mercy of these men yet again. When I talked to Ms. Johnson about it, she said that women were extremely unhappy about it. No one liked this. Uh, they started putting, the California prison system started putting condoms machines in women's prisons. What used to a bunch of women being locked up need with condoms? Well, you only need condoms if you're going to be subjected to men and having sex with men. And now that there were men in the prisons, who only have to self-ID, they don't have to, um, and I certainly don't think that the state should be forcefully drugging anyone, but they don't have to be taking estrogen. They don't have to show that their manhood is non-functioning. In fact, their manhood is functioning. Um, Tamikia Johnson also told me, and this is something that I have not personally verified, though she did tell me that she spoke with guards. She told me that a woman that she knew did fall pregnant to a man who said he was a woman in the prison and that he then beat her mercilessly so that she would miscarry. Um, the miscarried child got buried in the prison yard. Unbelievable stories. And just, just to be clear, mm -hmm. um, the, the, the thing that the, this law put in is that self-ID is enough basically self -ID, to make that transfer. Yes, self-ID is enough. Self-ID is enough. So it's enough to say that you are the opposite sex to be believed that you are the opposite sex. And self-ID, of course, is what is permeating so many of these laws. That's a huge part of what goes on. Well, and so I think what the activists for these laws would say would say, well, you know, there were all these trans men in the male prisons and were, you know, in danger and so forth. And now finally they can, they can, you know, be their true selves in this new place or something like that. That I would imagine that would be what, what they would say. Sure. But, you know, that doesn't change the nature of your biology, and it certainly doesn't change the impact that a male person can have on, on a, you know, a large group of women who, many of whom have already suffered abuse at the hands of men. It's just inhumane to think that 
one man's feeling that he is unsafe in a prison means that he needs to create a situation where hundreds of other women are completely unsafe. Why is his need so much greater? Um, in England, at one point, I think what they decided to do was create prisons for, they decided to create sections for trans inmates separately because um, they were finding that there were, there were trouble. There's been rapes all through the system. In New Jersey, Washington State, uh, there were instances in Illinois, problems in Massachusetts, problems in Nova Scotia, Australia, New Zealand, Scotland, um, and in England. We've seen this all across the board. We know that men, plenty of men, not all men, obviously, perpetrate violence against women. And why do we now have this feeling that men who have been locked up are not going to perpetrate violent crimes against women, even though that's what, in many cases, they've been convicted of? There's this recent uh, um, disclosure that uh, James O'Keefe made, um, and ostensibly this is uh, you know, about male inmates, exactly this situation. And in the recording, if I recall, there's this discussion of, you know, sort of gaming the system, getting someone pregnant, getting them to sue the correctional system and thereby get a million dollar baby. Have you, have you heard about anything I like heard this? about this just like you with the um, James O'Keefe story. And I think that certainly gaming the system is something that's going to be on the minds of criminals who have been working to game the system, you know, for however knows how, whoever knows how long. Um, there were rapes in Washington State prisons. Uh, Dory Monson, who was a radio um, a talk show host in Washington State, had covered that. He recently died, I believe, but um, he had covered that a while back. And nobody wanted to believe it. Nobody wants to discuss it. And a lawsuit that would maybe say, oh, you know, this woman was victimized because this man was led into the prison and raped her, that would show the fallacy of this law. And certainly if California were to suffer some sort of result where they had to pay out a million dollars and admit their guilt and admit their complicity in the rape of women where they are literally locked up, they can't leave, they can't go somewhere else. Right? When they complain about men being in women's prisons, when they say, like, oh, there's these men around, they are told that they are bigots. They are told that they are transphobic and that they are the problem. So you are gaslighting these women. Uh, you're further traumatizing these women. And, um, you know, California certainly should be held liable. So how long has this been going on? So in California, this has been going on since 2021. But we also have a situation where it's very hard to tell how long it's been going on in somewhere like Canada. So Heather Mason, who, has, uh, who was incarcerated for a time, has come out of prison and has spoken out against men being um, incarcerated along with women. But in Canada, they did this totally insane thing where they said that men who identify as women are women. And then they said, okay, now we're going to take this new definition of woman and we're going to apply it to our statistics. So what you see in Canada, statistics for crime, you will see statistics of women raping women. Those women are actually men, but they, their crimes are now part of the statistical database of women's crimes. And what this means is you can't even look at the data and get an accurate understanding of what has been going on, because the lies are embedded in the system. They are embedded in the system. They change the definition of woman, and then they change the statistics recording data to match that lie. So you can't tell. How long have men been in women's prisons? No one knows, because the government tells you that they are women. That's absolutely incredible. It's I... absolutely incredible, and it's happening in the US right now. President Biden, Whatever you think of him, he has been working really hard with his team to change the definition of woman to be anyone who identifies as a woman. And he is then using this definition and tasking every single government agency, every single federal agency, to use this new definition of women as they introduce and implement their policies. And he put out a couple of executive orders about this 
saying, hey, Department of Agriculture, Department of Education, uh, Department of Health and Human Services, I need you to use this new definition of woman. Reassess all of your policies and programs and make sure that you're not being biased against men who say that they are women, right? Use this new definition. So by conflating gender identity and biological sex, and then essentially, because you have changed the definitions, rewriting all the laws to date that have protections for women, you are changing the entire structure of society, and you're doing it by, by not even having to pass any laws. You don't have to do anything but completely corrupt the language. So federal prisons have been tasked with making sure that they are not transphobic by allowing men who identify as women, who are now women, that's the word, into women's federal prisons. So they're working on that. The Department of Agriculture took this directive and said, okay, so we give out a bunch of funding for free student lunches across the country so that kids can eat lunch. If their parents don't have the money for lunch, kids can still eat lunch. And they said, okay, if your school has a policy of not allowing gender self-ID for washroom access, for bathroom access, then we will withhold uh, free lunch aid. That's what the Department of Agriculture said. Um, the Department of Health and Human Services, they are doing their own thing to make sure that insurance companies um, pay for gender transition surgeries. Men, according to the Department of Health and Human Services, with its assistant secretary, Dr. Rachel Levine, who is a man uh, who underwent gender transition after having his own children and now advocates for the sterilization of minors through gender-affirming care, which they call it, which is absolutely another bastardization of language. So you have Levine out there saying insurance companies must cover what is essentially cosmetic surgery for men who want to appear as women, but does not advocate for women's surgery to appear more female, perhaps breast enlargements, whatever it is, to be covered. So in a sense, Biden is boosting boob jobs for men through the Department of Health and Human Services. Uh, he's pushing for boys and girls to be in opposite sex bathrooms in schools. We saw what happened in Loudoun County, Virginia, where a trans-identified student raped a girl in a bathroom, and then the school board covered it up at length. Um, that turned into such a giant headache for not just that school district, but for the entire country, because the father of the girl who was raped in the bathroom went to a school board meeting in, I believe, June 2021, I think is what it was. Um, was it 2021? Anyways, he went. Uh, to the school board meeting. And he said, hey, my daughter was raped in the bathroom by this trans student, and you guys didn't do anything about it. This was the same school board meeting where a gym teacher was coming under fire for not wanting to use the preferred pronouns of students. So his showing up, this father showing up at the school board meeting, led directly over a period of time to the Department of Justice instructing the FBI to investigate parents with the same tools that they use to investigate domestic extremism if those parents complain at school board meetings about anything from masking to apparently their daughters being raped in the bathroom. Department of Education. So the Department of Education is using Biden's new rules, his new brand new definitions for women that include men to insist that males are permitted to play on women's sports teams um, and threatening to withhold funding from any academic institution that doesn't allow that. Now Title IX was put into place to make sure that women had equal opportunities to compete in sports. And now Title IX is being used directly to deprive women of the right to compete on an equal playing field in you know, athletic competition in schools. It's absolutely insane. I mean, it's just absolutely insane. And it starts with the most minuscule little thing, right? Which is the ask for compassion for those who feel differently about themselves. Women were asked to be compassionate for trans-identified males and to say, let them say that they are women. That's all they're asking for. They just want to be recognized as women. And now we have taken that little tiny kernel, call a man a woman, and we have turned it into, 
removing for protections for women in the workplace, removing protections for women in prisons, removing protections for children to not be medically, uh, to not undergo medical sex changes as minors. Um, and we are taking away free lunches. We are taking away, you know, all of these things from women who just had that one little ask, be compassionate, say that the men are women. That's all we're asking. No, that's not all they're asking. The ask by these trans activists, which I do not believe includes all trans people or all gay people or anything like that. This is an activist ask. And the ask is to erase women. The ask is to completely change the language, change our understanding of reality, and to tell us not to believe our eyes, not to believe our senses, but to believe what we are told to believe. This is an indoctrination on a mass scale, um, and it's absolutely horrifying. We saw this happening. We, th we saw this happening so far back in the arts. I was involved in the arts, um, and it was something around 2007. I started seeing because what you do when you're in the arts is you ask for money. You put in for grants. You know, you say, "I want to do this project. Give me money to do it." Um, and a lot of times, the foundations want to give money to their own pet, you know, sort of causes or whatever. So you would put in a, a grant proposal for a project. You would say, I am a woman artist. Give me money because I am a woman artist. I'm writing about women. And the proposals, they would say, like, must be a woman artist. They started to change and started saying, must be woman or woman identified artist. And as someone who was making their money off grants, right, I funded my entire maternity leave off grant money. Uh, I remember looking at this and saying, what, it, what is woman identified? Does that mean men? Am I now competing for women's grant money alongside men, just like I'm competing alongside men in the bulk of the other grant proposals? What is the difference now? Except that that man who says he's a woman is a much specialer woman than your, your basic woman. I was just born this way. You know, but he identifies as this. This is special and new. Uh, and I was concerned that this kind of thing might eventually happen. And I spoke out about it to my friends who were also in the arts. And they would say things like, well, I can see how that's logical, but that's crazy. I'd speak about this to my other, at the time, liberal friends. Everyone would say this is crazy. And now here we are. In Congress, they took away the word mother. They replaced it with parent birthing person. You had Cori Bush, a congresswoman from Missouri, who rose to prominence um, during, the, uh, during like BLM and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think it was Michael Brown, St. Louis, that whole situation. She literally went to Congress to give her testimony about her difficulty birthing her children as a mother. What happened to her in the medical system? I am committed to doing the absolute most to protect black mothers, to protect black babies, to pr protect black birthing people, and to save lives. What we have done to mothers is we have taken away their language to identify themselves because somehow saying that you're a mother is offensive to someone who's not. It's absolutely insane. It began with the destruction of language. And here we are. You can't even quantify how many women commit crimes in Canada because men are included in that number. You know, you're talking about discovering this around 2007 in the arts scene, that this new terminology appeared, you becoming you know, up at arms about it. And a few things happened between then and you being the chief editor for the post-millennial and human events. So, you know, and there, there's, a, there's a bit of cancellation along the way, right? right? Yeah. But why, why don't you tell me that story? Like, what, what happened with you? Yeah, so I was writing plays. I was producing plays downtown, uh, downtown New York, which is really the only downtown in the universe, as far as I'm concerned. But we were producing plays downtown, um, me and my friends. We were uh, in residence at a poetry club, Bowery Poetry Club, which was great. It actually closed in 2012. I wrote a play called... Um, how to sell your gang rape baby for parts. And it was very much about all this stuff. The play was about two HR professionals, which was myself and my friend. We played those characters 
All of the action happened off stage. It was just the two of us. Um, we had a trans boss. We had an intern who had been raped by a football team and was now pregnant, and uh, the insurance didn't cover an abortion, so the boss was like fundraising for the abortion, and like there was just all of this stuff. Uh, one of the characters decided that they wanted to get femgenderization surgery, which is where you become even more female, right? You get like all of the accoutrements that you might get um, as a trans-identified, you know, male who's undergoing this stuff. Anyway, it was very satirical, it was very dark, um, and audiences would either crack up laughing because they understood that it was a joke, or they would just gasp in horror. Um, but I did not really feel like this was doing enough. A lot of people couldn't tell who I was sending up. Was I sending up the left or was I sending up the right? Who was I critiquing in this? And I started doing some research into transhumanism, which is a fascinating concept. And I wrote this piece for Quillette, which I had heard about from podcasts with Jordan Peterson. Um, and it was about the undercurrents of transhumanism in Western culture, which I identified as uh, transgender ideology, AI human integration, such as Neuralink, and also body hacking, which is uh, just like where you could put RFID chips in your hands and open your garage door. It went pretty viral, the story, and people in the theater community, it took a while, it took like six months um, before anyone noticed that I had written this. Uh, which was fine with me. I mean, I just kept doing my work. But um, eventually the theater community got wind of this, decided that I was transphobic. And I essentially lost my audience. Um, no one was going to come see my plays once it was determined that I was transphobic. In fact, once I, when I started to go to other plays, people that I knew would just ignore me entirely. My friends that I was doing, um, I was doing a theater project with, they said, you know, maybe if you apologize, we can still do our project. Maybe if you apologize to the non-binary lesbians who are angry because you think trans people are weird future robot people, maybe if you apologize, it'll be okay. And I said, you guys, I'll never do that. Um, you know me better than that. And so my theater company closed. The project that we had a grant for, we had like a nice, beautiful space to produce this musical in. Um, that we're working on, we lost the grant because the theater company closed. The women didn't want to work on the project anymore. I said, listen, just take the project. I'll leave the company. You guys just work on the project. They were like, no, it's your project. Like, everyone knows it's your project, so we can't just do it. Um, they were angry with me. We're no longer friends. Some of the women I was friends with for a very long time, going back to college. Um, I don't know what they're doing now. Uh, and I've given this a lot of thought since this happened in October 2018. At first I was very angry with them, but I think that to a certain extent they were right. Uh, we had no company if we had no audience and no one was gonna come see a show that I was involved in. Um, I know that they agreed with me though, that men aren't women. They know that fully. None of these women were in their 20s. Like they all know very clearly that being a, being a man is not being a woman. It's a totally different thing. So I do wonder that we couldn't have stayed friends. I reached out to them over a period of weeks saying like, I think we could do this, guys. It doesn't have to be like this. I got no response. And so I just decided to stop writing, writing artwork and start writing a lot more directly about these issues which I did. I vaguely recall the piece that you're talking about yeah. now that, I, that we mentioned. I don't remember there being anything against trans people. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you say you have nothing against trans people, that's just more evidence of your transphobia or what have you. But well, as, a, as a producer of plays, I produced the work of trans playwrights. I produced tra plays about trans issues and gender and identity and all of that stuff, you know, because for me, if it was well-written, if it told the story well, if it was compelling, I was interested in producing it. I wasn't interested in your identity. I wasn't interested in the identity of your characters. I was interested in producing artwork that made you feel something. So over a period of, I would say, probably the following year, 
I kept, I would get emails from people who would be like, oh, we no longer need your play for this project, or we're giving you the rights back for your play on this, we're not going to produce it. Um, I had one instance where someone reached out to me and was like, hey, would you like to be in this project? And I said, oh yes, thank you so much. Would love to be involved in this project. And I was like, oh, it's over, it's over, it's okay now. Um, and no, they, they realized instantly that that was the wrong thing to do and they never contacted me again. There were certainly some artists who either didn't know or didn't care and I worked with them for a while, but it was pretty clear that um, there wasn't going to be space for me on a stage with audiences who would come once they knew who I was and what this, what had happened and what the story was. So, yeah, so I gave it up. I gave up, I gave up theater. A lot of this stuff, and especially talking about, you know, trans in the schools and the, um, related to minors and so forth, that's not really academic for you. You have a, you have a son. I have a son, he's 13. <laughs> that's right. Well, and one of the things that's kind of come to light, especially recently, is that there's, I guess, this kind of mantra, or there's this policy in a lot of schools that now this is something that will be kept secret from parents. And it's more, I've been discovering lately that this is much more common than, yes. than I realized. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if you were even thinking about this back then, but obviously you were in the midst of, uh, you know, kind of realizing what this whole activist movement was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, in 2016, the Guidance Counselors Association, the National Guidance Counselors Association, sent out a directive to schools saying that it, you could be causing harm to students by telling the parents that they are having this, uh, you know, gender identity conversation with themselves. The idea essentially is that parents are likely to be so abusive that you will be harming students by telling their parents what's going on with them at school. Um, this is absolutely insane. And part of why it's insane, again, is because of the way language has been used to completely bastardize the entire conversation. First of all, gender identity doesn't mean anything, right? Everyone is gender non-conforming. Everyone has things about themselves or their desires or their interests that do not specifically align with stereotypical understanding of male and female. Of course, we all do. I played with mud pies, you know, like my cousin played with dolls. They were wrestling dolls, but they were still dolls, you know? Um, yeah, so when you look at, when you consider it like that, uh, if you are female, your body is female. Uh, that's just how it is. It's a biological condition. And yes, there's stuff that goes along with that. And everyone, every woman is, you know, more or less involved with that. You think of like Dr. Deborah So, who speaks about her understanding that she was exposed to more testosterone in the womb. And this is perhaps why she has sometimes more masculine interests. She's still very much female. That's just obvious. It's very clear. Uh, it doesn't matter that perhaps she has more masculine interests. That doesn't make her less female. Um, so that's part of it too, is if you say to a little boy, oh, you like to wear a dress, that means you're a girl. I think probably what it means is that's a little boy who is feeling more comfortable. Not about gender, but probably it has something to do with the way his skin feels or the way the air moves in those clothes. And there's no big deal about that. That's a perfectly fine thing. Um, kids are weird, right? I mean, kids are just weird. Like I remember when my son was little and he would have some, something he'd wanted to do and I'd say like, okay, but what's your weird kid reason? You know, and he'd be like, well, cause I just wanted to go pick up that leaf. Okay, well that's not a good reason to run in front of the truck. So just hang on, we can get you the leaf. You're not actually suicidal because you're aiming to run in front of the truck. You're just trying to pick up a leaf, right? Kids, kids come up with all kids sorts of things. Reasons. Kids yeah. do make believe this is part mm -hmm. of growing up. Right, right. right. Uh, some kids decide they're tractors for a while. It's not a big deal. You don't affirm that your kid is a tractor. But meanwhile, you had President Biden coming out last year on Transgender Day of Visibility, which is a brand new made up stupid holiday, um, saying, parents, affirm your kids. And he did it all like this, affirm your kids. To parents of transgender children, Affirming your child's identity is one of the most powerful things you can do to keep them safe and healthy. I don't even think he knows 
what affirming your kids means. And I think a lot of parents who hear affirm your kids, and it sounds very positive, it sounds compassionate and kind, but what it really means is stop your child from growing up naturally, stop your child from having natural puberty and growing up into an adult, halt that progress, put them on cross-sex hormones to disrupt their brain development, to disrupt their bone and muscle development, to permanently change their bodies. In boys, estrogen will stunt your growth. In girls, testosterone will deepen your voice and give you facial hair forever, right? And in many cases, this also will lead to sterilization. Certainly, if you have a boy who undergoes what they call vaginoplasty, which is the removal of the penis and its inversion to create a the appearance of a vaginal opening. This is not a vaginal opening. There's no, there's no ovaries in there. There's no uterus. There's no, like, why does any woman have a vagina? A woman has a vagina because it's part of a reproductive system that creates more human beings, right? That's like the whole point of our reproductive systems. Um, a boy will become sterile once you put him on these drugs and remove his penis. Also, you have a doctor called Marcy Bowers who was one of the surgery surgeons who operated on Jazz Jennings, who had a reality TV show documenting uh, the journey from baby boy to adult transgender identified male. Marcy Bowers has operated on count, countless um, trans patients, was the head of something called the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, which also identifies eunuch as a valid gender identity in their latest guidelines. Bowers uh, was on a panel and said that uh, they had never seen a patient, a boy patient, who had gone on puberty blockers and onto cross-sex hormones who grew up to have an orgasm. Every single child who was, or adolescent, who was truly blocked at Tanner stage two is, has never experienced orgasm. When you put your son on puberty blockers and onto cross-sex hormones, you are not only denying them a life of reproductive um, capability, you are denying them a life of any kind of sexual pleasure. What does that mean? Maybe you could say like, oh, that's shallow, who needs that anyway? But what is sexual pleasure in the context of a loving relationship? It's a big deal. It's part of a loving, thoughtful, caring relationship where you give each other pleasure, but these boys will never have pleasure. Jazz Jennings has spoken about never having an orgasm, not even understanding what anybody means. Is it kind of like a sneeze, Jennings said at one point? Jennings will never have sexual pleasure, will never have children. That is what happens. When you have gender-affirming care for a young girl, what that means is, and in most cases, as we're seeing now, a young girl will hit puberty, will decide that she does not feel great about growing up female, which let's be honest, when you're a female and you hit puberty and you realize what's ahead of you, it is not an amazing experience. You're talking about there's gonna be blood, it's probably gonna be embarrassing, right? You can bleed through your clothing. This is a terrible thing that happens. It's happened to me, it's happened to like every woman and it sucks. You talk about, you know, your body's gonna change, you're gonna get curvy, nobody's gonna let you climb trees anymore, boys are gonna look at you weird. Suddenly, you're going to be less strong than the boys. The boys are gonna get stronger, you're not gonna, you know, be as fast as, as them at hurdles or whatever other thing. Nobody wants that. I struggled with growing up female until I was in my 30s, right? And I was like, oh, okay, it's okay, it's okay. Many of these clinics, 13 is where they will remove your breasts, and they will do it. There's a doctor in Miami who removes breasts. She calls it yeeting the teats and carries no malpractice insurance because then it's harder to sue because no one's going to take up a case if the doctor doesn't have malpractice insurance because they're not going to get any money. Um, so that's crazy. Removing the healthy breasts of a young girl before she's had a chance to consider motherhood, consider nursing, which is, again, what is nursing? Nursing is not just nourishment for your child. It is a bonding thing. Also, once you take the breasts away, you lose sensation in that area. 
So now again, we are depriving pleasure. Uh, when you put a young woman on testosterone, she's going to experience vaginal atrophy, which is a very painful condition. There's even a uh, trans-identified woman, Buck Angel, who talks about having had vaginal atrophy. Um, and Angel pre presents as male, looks very male. And nobody's, nobody said to Angel, like, oh, this, you're going to have this experience. Uh, vaginal atrophy can result in tearing, bleeding, all kinds of horrible things. Uterine atrophy as well happens. Very painful. This is a sterilization process. Um, Bowers says it. Other trans doctors have said this. Men who uh, under, you know, did their whole medical training, had children, whatever, and then decide that they're trans and go around operating on minors who are feeling this way. It's not affirming. Affirming your child means telling them that you love them, that they are beautiful just the way that they are, encouraging them in their talents and gifts, letting them know that how the outside world views them has absolutely nothing to do with who they are or what they're capable of, giving them pride in themselves regardless of whether or not someone uses their correct pronouns. That's what affirmation is. Giving your kids the opportunity to grow up whole without medical intervention. Um, but that's already been wiped out in our culture. We already have a situation where children are being overprescribed. They are being uh, classified as you know, having mental health issues and they're being given psych drugs. A lot of the kids who are being given like anti-psych drugs are black boys in foster care in the South. Why are we doing this? If these kids are unmanageable, it's probably because they're in foster care and they're having a tough time. It's not because of anything inherently wrong with them or their brains, right? They're growing up in crappy situations. They need love, they need actual affirmation, they don't need drugs, psych drugs. The New York Times did an expose over the summer about the cocktails of drugs that teenagers are put on that are not FDA approved for their age group. So we're over-prescribing our kids, we're telling them they have mental health concerns, we're telling them they can be any gender they want, we're watching them release videos on TikTok talking about how their pronouns are demon and demon self. Hi, my name's Jasper. I use they pronouns. Hi, my name's Liana. I use they demon pronouns. This video is how to use our pronouns. We're acting as though this is in some way legitimate. And we're not teaching our children that growing up into an adult is a great thing to grow up to be. We're not teaching them that being parents is really a pretty spectacular thing to grow up to be. We're not teaching them to engage in their own gifts, in their own love of learning. All these people, all these identities, people who identify as this, have been co-opted themselves. Part of the LGBTQIA2S community, or what have you. But really it is a large number of activists, or maybe a small number of activists, nobody knows, because they're very loud and they drown out everybody else. But you have gays against groomers who are like, listen, we're gay. We hate all this. We're not into it. We don't want porn in schools. We don't want you gender transitioning children. Because the other thing, too, is many of these kids, if left to their own devices, would just grow up gay. So we're eliminating lesbians. We're, we're eliminating gay men. Um, our culture has long since accepted lesbians and gay men. And now we are turning our back on them and saying, actually, if you're a woman and you're sexually attracted to other women, that probably means you're a man. If you're, you know, uh, if you're a man and you're sexually attracted to other men, that probably means you're a woman. I just want to touch on this, uh, you know, the surgeries for minors, which you've mentioned a couple of times. There was testimony in the Tennessee House recently where experts, ostensible experts, testified that that just simply doesn't happen. It does happen, and you have women who said it happens to them and we watched it happen to Jazz Jennings on live television. Uh, Chloe Cole had her breasts removed at a young age, and there are many more women who have had this happen to, ha happen so, to them as minors. Um, I'm, I'm very aware that this is happening to minors, but it, it just, it, it's bizarre that experts will come in and say, oh, just, this just isn't real. Well, the really wild thing is not that they won't, they will say that it's not real, because we're already being lied to about this stuff all the time.
But if you take, for example, there was an instance over the summer, Boston Children's Hospital had put out a number of promotional videos about their gender clinic for kids. It was all over their website, massive production, you know, beautiful graphics, very sweet and calm, and everything's going to be just fixed and great once you come into this gender clinic. This is how we remove breasts. This is how we remove penises. This is how we remove ovaries. And it's also affirming this is how we make sure you get puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones. And families have moved here to Boston because we give them this, this uh, you know, care, so-called, which is complete bastardization of the word, obviously. We give them this care where they can't get it anywhere else. The videos were on their website. Also on their website were essentially like intake forms where you could, it said what the guidance was for different kinds of surgeries. I have this stored on my computer. I downloaded it. Uh, vaginoplasties 17. I think it was uh, mastectomies 13. Um, it just, it said it in black and white pixels right there in these PDFs. So we reported on this at the post-millennial we did a rather in-depth report. Uh, Chris Elston, who goes by Billboard Chris on Twitter, had also recorded a bunch of these videos, and we worked with him. Um, Libs of TikTok, an account that exposes the uh, you know, leftist insanity in their own words. She put something on Twitter about how uh, minors were giving, being given hysterectomies, right? On the Boston Children's Hospital website, it said 18 for... Um, what they call phalloplasty, right? 18 for phalloplasty. Now the thing is, the extrapolation was that if you can get a phalloplasty at 17 and there's a substantial amount of surgical procedure that has to go into it before you can get the phalloplasty, the idea was that you could start it prior to being 18 so that you'd be ready for the surgery at 18. That was sort of the extrapolation. However, uh, there was a massive fact check engagement. Everyone got slammed. This never happens. All the fact checkers say this never happens. Boston Children's Hospital says this never happens. And because they just latched onto that one thing, that perhaps the hysterectomy doesn't happen at 17, perhaps it happens at 18, which we don't even necessarily know. Um, but this is what they said. So because of that, they used that, just that one little assertion that one little assumption to debunk all of the research that was done, even though the research that was done was simply exposing the videos that they had made and the guidance that they had written. So it was a misdirection. So what happened after that um, is that we doubled down. We just kept talking about it. Libs of TikTok then went on to expose another children's hospital who said, sure, hysterectomy at 17 in Washington, D.C. And then you started seeing articles in the New York Times. First they were saying, it's not happening. And then they started saying that it's good that it's happening. So they can't decide, really. When they get caught, first they try and tell you it's not true, and then they tell you that it's good. So I don't believe anything that they're saying about it not happening. And they don't either because as soon as they realize it is happening, they'll just tell you it's good. To use the word Orwellian is like almost an understatement at this point. I mean, it's so double plus on good what they're doing here. I want to go back to what you were writing uh, about transhumanism and maybe what further thoughts you've had. Yeah, so I think in a lot of ways, transhumanism and transgender ideology are attempting to answer the Cartesian question about the mind-body split. Is the mind and, are the mind and the body connected? Are they two separate things? Does what you do to one have an impact on the other? And this, of course, this was Descartes. You know, I think, therefore I am, all of this. Transgender ideology and transhumanism both say that the mind and the body are completely distinct and that what happens to the one has no impact on the other. Um, and that's sort, of the, that's sort of the going idea. What happens in my mind, I can manifest on my body. And then that changes my body because I have, I have changed it and my mind rules. And I think that... Or I'll use technology mm -hmm. to do or that. Well, or... Transgender medicine is medical technology. That's what it is. 
right? A uh, hundred years ago, uh, there wouldn't be puberty blockers. Puberty blockers are a technological development. Uh, isolating male and female hormones uh, into a drug and giving them to someone, that's a medical technological advancement. So trans implementation is technological. You can't uh, cut off someone's penis and create the appearance of a vagina in its place without medical technology. That's exactly what it is. The idea is that I can change my body to match the image of myself in my head. That's the first step. And the other step is um, I can make everyone else believe it too. And if everyone else doesn't believe my delusion, there's something wrong with them. And both of those things combined are really deadly. And it's why Jordan Peterson first came to prominence talking about how he would not be compelled to speak a person's pronouns. The idea behind what he was saying was that you cannot force me to lie. I will not lie just because you tell me to. And I think we need to stick to that. We need to not lie just because we are told to. What is gender affirming care? It is child sex changes. That's what that is. Don't lie about it. Don't use these words that are complete fabrications designed to obfuscate the truth and obfuscate reality. Um, I understand certainly using pronouns, preferred pronouns in personal relationships, and it very much can be gray and dodgy, and Ben Shapiro talks about this as well. Um, but en masse, as a, as, a, as a culture, we are lying to ourselves and to each other. Jazz Jennings is not a female. Jazz Jennings is a butchered young man who is trapped in a body that does not reflect who he is, it turns out. It turns out you can't change your body completely to match your image of yourself and have that not have a huge impact on your mind. These things, we are in concert, we are one being. Um, so, it's, I mean, it's a pretty devastating situation we have here. So I guess you're pretty committed to exposing these things in your journalism and the journalism of your publications. Yes. Yeah, we're working really hard on that. Um, the Post Millennial is dedicated to that. We have a, a writer whose entire project is to write about gender and these issues. Uh, we've talked to women who are incarcerated and tried to get their stories. We're really committed to that at human events as well, and we work on that. Um, yeah, I'm really proud of the work that we're doing at both outlets to expose this and also to expose so many of the other fallacies that are being pushed on us by the political establishment right now. People need to stand up, they need to know the truth, and they need to stand on that truth and not be swayed, no matter how many people tell you that you are not compassionate for not speaking lies. Well, Libby Evans, it's such a pleasure to have you on. Thanks so much, Jan. Thank you all for joining Libby Emmons and me on this episode of American Thought Leaders. I'm your host, Yanya Kellek.